and welcome to the first episode of Practice Makes Teachers. I'm Lucy. I'm Nisa. Hi, Lucy. I'm so excited to begin this journey with you. And I with you. Today, we are here to bring you into our classrooms, sharing more about who we are and giving you a small insight into the kinds of questions you might hear other teachers trying to grapple with every now and again. We hope you follow along and learn something or find a community along the way. Let's jump right in. So Nisa, first question, nice and basic. What do you teach? So I am a recently qualified teacher um, and I teach French at Key Stage 3 and Key Stage 4 in a state academy, but I'll actually be starting there in May. Um, I've also taught Spanish at Key Stage 3, French at Key Stage 5, English in a French school and volunteer health courses in California high schools. Um, So yeah, right back at you, Lucy. So what do you teach? I teach German Key Stage 3 to Key Stage 5 with French at Key Stage 3. For those of you who are listening further ashore from the UK, that's ages 11 to 18. And I also used to teach theatre to children in primary schools and an after-school club. Might go back to the drama studio soon, who knows. And I'm hoping to teach PSHE formally at some point, but I am a year nine form tutor at the moment. Question for you, Nisa. Was it always teaching for you? So it was, I knew I wanted to be a teacher in sixth grade. Um, My teacher was really inspiring. Um, I had quite a few inspiring teachers growing up, but her compassionate and creative approach to teaching was something that really stood out to me and then once I got to high school it became language teaching that I wanted to do I fell in love with French so oh and those of you who don't know Nisa her French accent is just lovely to listen to you are definitely a match (laughs) made in heaven for your teaching subject Ah, merci mille fois (laughs) buttering up my (laughs) co-host Lucy why did you leave the theater behind simply because I wanted to use my languages I think realizing that going after a career in theatre was a sort of fantasy trajectory for me because so many others wanted to do the same thing. It was a hard pill to swallow, but it has been absolutely for the best. Plus, languages and theatre really go in hand in hand, and I feel incredibly privileged to have a hand in both uh, sectors. They are both incredible sources of compassion, confidence, and empathy, which are, I guess, three traits that I really value and are, you know, fairly scarce at the moment in certain individuals in society. So yeah, I, I place a lot of value on them. And they're so important to teaching. And I think also with, with theatre, you know, act, teaching is, is acting. We're performing the whole day. So that gives you a leg up as well. I think a lot of people starting off in the profession don't really realise how much they perform on a daily basis. And no wonder you feel completely wiped after a five-period day because you just go... I've been presenting my best for five hours straight, plus everything else that comes with the you know package of teaching. <laughs> so it's, it's just a marathon, really. What do you think was the highlight of your training year? Well, I mean, obviously, we both trained together. We so did. the highlight um, would come down to the community of other trainees. And our valiant leader, Dr. Adam Cook. So big shout out to Adam, University of Birmingham, languages tutor. Awesome dude. If you're thinking of training, go to Birmingham, be friends with him. You will not regret it. He is incredible. So yeah, the the enthusiasm, the drive and the creativity that was shared in that classroom was just contagious. And if I had Mm. to pick a specific moment, 
this is going to be a kind of a half highlight, half low, but it was probably when Adam encouraged me to keep going when my second placement was feeling really negative towards me, which I know is a is quite a shared experience for so many people where one placement might be a lot more difficult than the other. But luckily with Adam, he saw the kind of teacher that I could be and I ended up returning to my first placement school for the final two weeks, which was just brilliant. That environment there was so welcoming and creative and it was something that showed me that, okay, not every school is going to be for you. It doesn't matter how good of a teacher you are. You've got to find the place that reflects you. That's that's the highlight. And kind of bouncing off of that, um, what was what was the low point for you, your training year? I also found my second placement really difficult. And it was the month of March. I just felt really disorganized, super under-motivated. Like there would be at least one morning a week at around 3am where I'd wake up to finish off lesson plans and resources. So I was really not working to deadline. I think my mentor was super unhappy with me, but she had the courtesy not to put extra strain on me. (laughs) But effectively, extreme fatigue took hold and I just normalized it completely. Um, I didn't even realize I was doing that because I thought, well, trainees suffer. It's the training year. It'll all be over soon. But it it came to a head in April and I just had to take two days off of work. Like I was just so, so tired. And if I look back on it now, I'm really surprised I kept going. Like it's it's just, it's horrific to think back to that time and think think that I just wasn't like speaking honestly about how tired I was and how low I was feeling. Yeah, every every time that, you know, we met up, it was just, you always had so many inspirational ideas and I, I would have never known. And so I'm really glad that, that you're able to to talk about this and share with other, you know, early career teachers, just that fatigue that can really set in. Well, actually, speaking of the up and down journey, what's been the biggest learning curve? Knowing when to to step away from school and when to value myself over my students, which out loud sounds awful, but let me, I'll explain it a little bit more. My NQT role was a dream. I absolutely loved the school. It was such a positive environment for both the students and the teachers. And I still hear today that my students, you know, talk about me and the the lessons that they enjoyed. But unfortunately, for my second year, I was in a different school. And this was actually this this past year. And I had to leave the job halfway into the year due to harassment from students, which led to poor mental health and well being on my part. But luckily, I've since found a brilliant position in a new school so I'm really excited to start working there in May. It's insane because I think throughout your training year the pupils will help make the experience but you have to have boundaries I mean you are a human being at the end of the day and actually kind of brings me to a subsequent point that schools absolutely should have rigid like disciplinary behavior systems in place so that they can reprimand students for treating teachers that way if you if you don't do that if you don't protect your staff they're going to leave in droves for sure mm-hmm. yeah and I mean we're seeing that also now in the news there's been so many things posted about students experiencing harassment teachers experiencing harassment it seems to be one of I mean I hate to use this word because it's the it's the word of the, of the year but it's a bit of a pandemic in in a sense. <laughs> not that this should discourage you, any of you from applying, by the way, but just so you know that it's not all rosy. And that's why, again, you have to work with the school to 
make sure your students fall in line so you can teach to the best of your ability. Absolutely. And I think the awareness that's coming out too is a positive thing because it's going to really encourage schools to act and and make those changes that are necessary. On a more positive note, uh, you're you're an RQT, but you're also already a post holder. So why did why did you want that role? I knew that I could do the role justice. So just to be clear, I'm head of German um, at the school I work at. And I think to be a good post holder, you have to have an abundance of knowledge. You've got to have a diversity of experience and just an innate curiosity for your subject. I joined the school and as soon as I expressed interest in the role in November of my NQT year, my mentor encouraged me to gather evidence and aim high, which was simply brilliant. I worked really hard for that role. I proved myself time and time again and was offered it for my RQT year. Now, just to say as well that not all early career teachers may feel ready to take up extra responsibility at this stage. So please do not feel obligated to apply for roles straight away. You need to find the position that makes you tick when it suits you best. I just happened to be in a very lucky position where I found the position that made me tick. Yeah, and it's great that you had a school that that you're in a school that really supported you to to move forward like that as well. Definitely, and I actually have training on like a bi-weekly basis where we talk to other middle leaders from different subjects, exchange ideas and pieces of advice and it makes the whole experience really gratifying. Three words that characterize your teacher beliefs. I'd say passion, practice, and openness were my words. So obviously passion for my subject, passion for teaching, and then practice in both sense of the word, recalling this practice makes teachers, you know, focusing on teaching practice based in evidence-based research and also how you have to practice, 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 because not every lesson goes your way and we're always bettering our teaching. The final one is just openness in that I pride myself on being open to what other teachers and what other students have to say mm-hmm. um, and really listening and celebrating what they have to say. Being open has helped my students see that I care and respect them. So, yeah. For sure. What about you, Lucy? Three words, characterize your practice. Transparency, because if you're not transparent, then the students don't know why they're learning. Humor, because everyone likes a laugh. And authenticity, because students can see when you're not being authentic with them. And that's probably when behavior plays up most or they just don't want to learn from you. So yeah, that's, that's my magic bag. What would you say are the activities and strategies you still use from your training year? Honestly, so many of them. Two of the biggest ones, though, would probably be um, like three-part questioning and also exploiting texts and listening transcripts in language. I think those are the ones that are really important also because, you know, exploiting texts, if you really just focus on one, then that's going to cut down your planning time. Yeah. <laughs> and it, and it's, it's good for the students too, because then they can really break something down and really figure it figure out the meaning and figure out how to produce something similar so that's key and then my lesson structures and long-term planning have obviously improved over time but I still use quite a few of the activities from my training year would you agree with that for the most part yeah though I think again with seeking a wider community I'm now using a more diverse range of ideas and I'm trusting also myself to follow the learning a bit more so I might have planned four activities but I'll actually find that one's working really well and we'll just kind of go off possibly on a tangent but I'll always see that the students are engrossed and you know we're developing our relationship which to me is going to 
facilitate learning in the long term so definitely those strategies but always looking for what's going to make them tick in the moment I might not have planned for it but we'll just follow the learning yeah it's that flexibility flexibility and adaptability as well so important absolutely so the teacher standards um, are in the UK. They are the things that we have to meet in order to be a qualified teacher. What is the teacher standard that you just can't stand? Hate TS6 assessment. It's still a stickler <laughs> for me because I just think it's so rooted in testing and data and it's not focusing on the formative aspect of our job, which we constantly reflect on, which is, okay, how do we check the students learning? What question do we ask them that, shows that they have learned something and I remember Adam was always hell-bent on reminding us that just because you've administered a test does not mean you've done assessment (laughs) you know I I just loathe evidencing it but I do realize that it goes to the territory of education now and funnily enough actually my role as head of German has been in the past few weeks to put together completely new assessments from past papers to administer to our GCSE and A-level students so that we can determine a grade for them because they're not doing examinations so that's been probably the most fascinating strand of assessment that I've pursued because it's totally uncharted territory I wish I knew that there was a teacher community kind of beyond our just our training circle and one that's on social media I was really Struggling, like I said earlier, with my second placement during my PG to bed. But the support from the MFL Twitterati community would have been really helpful at that point. It's just been amazing to see all the ingenuity and innovation and the free CPD and everything that people are putting out there. And that kind of support would have been just, I think, so helpful to know that that existed. So did you have any doubts along the way? Uh, Countless. (laughs) I think your perception of teaching really changes. Well, what it, what it is, what it means, and what it looks like in practice, it pretty much shifts on a daily basis. And there are days where I would walk away thinking that I can't teach, or perhaps this is not what I'm wanted to do, or I'm not doing what I set out to achieve. However, having my views challenged in this way is sort of what makes the good days, quote unquote, hugely rewarding. And the doubts are sobering. So now I just take yeah. them with a pinch of salt, really. You just, you brush off the bad days and know that tomorrow Mm -hmm. will probably be better. So in the way of reassurance, when you need reassurance, who do you think of? I think of the teachers that I've had, the inspiring teachers that I talk to online. I I think of, you know, all of um, my PG to bed trainees that I, that, you know, that we both, that we all worked with. And I think having a community really reassures me. You can't just... Teaching can be so isolating and you've got to look out to, to the community and build that community in order to build the confidence you need to keep going. And we, and we, I think we've had that from the beginning, haven't we, really? We had yeah. that, those trainees who we just, every two weeks, we'd reconvene and just find solace in sharing our experiences and having a good laugh. Yeah. And that was the thing that was so difficult after leaving that, after leaving training is having to rebuild that community felt like you know a mountain to climb it was just like oh where do I who do I turn to it's so integral but yeah so when you are looking for inspiration where where do you turn honestly I feel like I 
engage best with inspiration when I'm removed from teaching and languages completely. Like I'll watch a film or a series and build this world around me that's totally unrelated to my profession, but it affects my thinking and it, and I feel reinvigorated for having done it. So simply put, if I didn't continue to enjoy my life as a person, my professional practice wouldn't be half the thing it is today. And I'm, I got to say, I'm really proud of nurturing both sides of my personality because one feeds into the other, but definitely the personal is what matters most. What do you think has actually impacted your career the most on that note? I think this is an easy one for so many of us right now. I think having begun my NQT year in 2019, COVID has had the biggest impact on my career. And I think, strangely enough, it has really benefited my teaching practice um, because it's forced me and, you know, so many other teachers to become more technologically savvy and creative. We've had to reach out to other other mediums to build our lessons and make sure that we're still engaging the students and still teaching and making sure that learning is happening. And I don't know if you found this, but I found it was more of a level playing field in in teaching with COVID because you had teachers who had been in the business like 20, 30 years who had to relearn how to transpose their profession from the classroom to the remote learning environment and you know we're working with the less is more approach but it felt it was just such a learning opportunity for everyone yeah and I think it it really revealed the disconnect and the the imbalance in certain schools as well those who didn't have as much access to technology or the internet you know were just having workbooks at home and while that's still learning of course that was something that we had to do to adapt but I think it showed also for schools like mine that I was in we had blended learning the whole year already my students all had tablets and so we were already doing things online and so we had actually I think bit of a leg up on quite a few other schools because we knew about these apps we knew about some of the mm. the things already that other students and other teachers had to adjust to it became more of a level playing field over time but when it first started off man that was a that was a tricky time for so many for sure it, yeah mm-hmm. and I still feel for schools who are part of this like catch-up narrative who were mm-hmm. miles behind other schools and disadvantaged in that way So we all really owe it to the profession to work together to try and improve circumstances for all, really. Thinking about circumstances in the level playing field, imagine if Ofsted, we all love to hear that word, imagine they're on the prowl coming back into schools and they they serve into your lesson. What would you want them to see now? Kind of, I dilly-dallied and wasn't sure how I wanted to answer this, but came to it that learning that is inclusive, that's what I want them to see. And I don't just mean the material that I prepare. Of course, it's a crucial component, but I really want them to see a classroom where children are learning with great care and aplomb, you know, that I'm nurturing them and that I can stand to learn from them as well. Like they're teaching me something and we're listening to one another intently and answers are accepted and questions are planned to, you know, pre-prepared for certain students, but actually they're open to all. It's, yeah, that's the simplest I can offer really. Yeah, you don't want it to just be a checklist lesson where it's like, okay, there's differentiation. Oh, there's a starter. Oh, they've got the date written down. Like you want it to actually be something that is meaningful and and for, and free flowing as well. Like that will actually feel natural to watch. Yeah. But that comes with practice again. 
getting back mm. to that word you know yeah. you just need to feel comfortable with who you are in the classroom and that inclusive learning will come as a result rather than you feeling that you have to go through the motions all the time we're going to look ahead now nisa so the future looks bright for you uh starting a new school what are you most excited for i'm so excited to be back in the classroom i'm thrilled that when I come back it's going to be live teaching you know I want to I want to meet those young linguists and do what I really love which is teaching and it was so exciting for this school because when I went to interview the deputy had made a point to say that our job as teachers shouldn't be about firefighting but about teaching and what he meant by that was you know you shouldn't be having to put out little fires throughout the entire lesson little you know disruptions you should actually be able to do your job and that's where I really want to be in is in a place where behavior is taken seriously, where I'm respected, but the students are also respected and able to learn. That's what I'm really looking forward to. And obviously, alongside that, I'm also just super excited about this podcast and learning more from other early career teachers. Me too. I'm going to write that quote from your deputy head on like a poster or something that's like just sums up brilliantly what we should be allowed to do it's slow going it's been weird going back to face-to-face teaching so don't be surprised if students are still refinding the rhythm of being in a classroom again it's nothing to do with you it's just post-covid nerves I think from everyone I think yeah and I think some of it it's really hard because we have to do our job we have to we have to be able to teach them. But we also need to realize that just like us, they've been missing out on so much socializing. They're tired too, and they've got to readjust to all of that. And yeah, that is a huge learning curve right now that we all have to get used to. Don't be surprised that if everyone's attention span, including yours, is like next to naught. <laughs> it's... Oh my gosh, yeah. It's... Uh, it's quite funny, but you also go, right, I need to really readjust <laughs> it's so different but it is you know it's it's what we like to do and it's what they need students look out nisa is going to be back with a vengeance <laughs> with mostly excited they're going to be wondering what why why is she so happy why is just... <laughs> <laughs> all right so we've launched the podcast is out um we've got our first blog post coming out what, who do we want to hear from now Ah, oh, you always put me on the spot and I just don't want to, I don't want to just say everyone and everyone, though that, of course, that would be a genuine response. Personally, I am especially excited to hear from any current trainees and NQTs who have also known the turbulence of blended learning because it's, you know, they haven't just worked in one environment. They've been forced to train and work in, in a, a live environment, a remote environment, and also, you know, work through their own personal circumstances. It's quite exceptional and we just need to be amplifying these voices, recognizing this work, celebrating the successes, you know, reflecting on the quote unquote failures or shortcomings. And anyone who's come into teaching late, please do get in touch because I think you would be great guests. And by late, I don't mean, you know, there's no correct time to go into teaching, is there, Nisa? It's just anytime you feel that it's your calling card, you just you you go for it is that the end Lisa have we gotten through all our questions already I think we have cool that was fun that was really (laughs) fun so yeah looking forward to kind of bringing other people into these conversations and yeah absolutely and if you guys have any suggestions of things we should talk about or ask or pitch to our uh you know prospective guests please get in touch via the blog we'd absolutely love to hear from you and yeah, I think 
that's a wrap. So thanks so much for joining us. And remember, practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes you. Next time, we'll be speaking to another trainee of languages, Lily, who has been quite vocal on Twitter about the experiences that one might have if you are coming from further ashore over to the UK to train to teach. She'll be speaking to us about her positive and somewhat critical experiences as well and sharing her thoughts and feelings. I do hope that you join us.